The following program is recorded content created by the Truth Network. Wake up, everyone. It's time for the Steve Noble Show, where biblical Christianity meets the everyday issues of life in your home, at work, and even in politics. Steve is an ordinary man who believes in an extraordinary God. And on his show, there's plenty of grace and lots of truth, but no sacred cows. Call Steve now at 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Or check him out online at thestevenobleshow.com. And now, here's your host, Steve Noble. Welcome back. Thanks for being here. Good to be with you. Paying attention uh, here in North Carolina, as always, and we're talking about that yesterday and some things going on down in the legislature where I was uh, pulling no punches uh, regarding our Republican friends down there. But uh, coming out of the committee today on the House is the 12-week uh, ban on abortion. So that's that's going to sail through, and then it's going to get to the Senate. The Senate will probably do that. So we'll have a 12-week abortion ban, but it'll go to uh, Governor. It'll go to Governor Cooper's desk, and then he's going to veto that. And then we'll see if the Republicans can hold on to everybody, including their newest member of the Republican Party, and override the veto, and then we'll have a 12-week uh, abortion ban in this state, which is which is great. It's a movement in the right direction. But remember, that will reduce abortions by about 27 to 30 percent. Most abortions take place before that. But it's a step in the right direction. And we praise the Lord for that. But we'll pay attention to that. We'll pay attention to what's going on with the whole transgender surgeries and hormone blockers and all that stuff and keep the pressure on. This is crossover week. So I haven't forgotten about that. But somebody that knows a little bit about the political process uh, is my good friend, Hal Weatherman, who has this goes all the way back to you said 17 was the first time you were putting signs in yards. It was. And you're a little older than 17 now. So it's been a few years. Well, Welcome back. It's good to see yeah, you. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, my first uh, involvement in politics was putting up yard signs for <laughs> um, Jim Gardner, who was running for lieutenant governor, which is kind of ironic. Which is now. ironic since right. you're now running for lieutenant governor. Right. I know. <clears throat> and for circle. those of you uh, that might recognize Hal's name or his voice or if you're on Facebook or Rumble, you might he might look familiar to you because for eight years – uh, he was Dan Forrest's right-hand man, as Dan was the lieutenant governor. You've been around this for a while and worked with Dan's mom, mm-hmm. Sue Myrick, who served in Congress for 18 years, eighteen years, nine terms. Yeah. Uh, but, man, you've been at it for a while. Well, why, why at 17 did you get involved with politics, Hal? Uh, yeah, I get asked that a lot. We went to uh, my school. We went to a um, field trip, you know, um, with my class and, and to Washington, D.C., um, I come from an apolitical family. I mean, they, they voted, um, good conservative people, and they voted, but that was about it. Yeah. So I never was exposed to politics in any way. That was my first exposure, trip to D.C., um, thought it was cool, thought mm-hmm. that, you know, and, and came back and, and talked to what I would call a mentor um, who said, if you really want to pursue that, you should start like a teenage Republican club. I didn't know how to do that. Uh, he put me in touch with people. We chartered a club. I grew it. We became the largest teenage Republican club in the state. Wow. Uh, realized real quickly that um, if you bring something to the table, and in this instance it was young people, uh, that you would be valuable commodity mm-hmm. to the politicians. Especially at a young age. And I called Sue Myrick. Um, she was at the time city council in Charlotte running for mayor, had not been elected yet. Called her, said, I'm Hal Weatherman. I'm 16 years, 17 years <laughs> I'm old. the man here in North Carolina. And, and I would like to um, work on your campaign. Never heard back from her. Wow. About three weeks go by. My dad said, whatever happened to that phone call you made to Sue Myrick? And I, and I told him, and he said, no, you did it all wrong. 
let me tell you how you're supposed to leave that message. <laughs> so I called her back, left a, a, a voicemail on her answering machine, right? This is 86. Yeah. And left her an, a, a voicemail and said, uh, this is Hal Weatherman. I have 285 kids that are going to go door to door for the next candidate who calls me back. <laughs> she called me back 10 minutes <laughs> later. That's and if you think about it, what a great story. in one way, shape or form from that phone call, I was with the Myrick Forrest family for 27 years. That's crazy, man. Isn't it crazy? And so it just goes. And I was actually speaking to a group of young kids the other day, retold the story because they were asking, how did you get involved? Yeah. And I told them, don't underestimate um, bringing something to the table. And a lot of people think it's, you know, money or family connect. No, if you can bring a commodity like people to the table mm-hmm. that can be mobilized for yeah. good, you're valuable uh, to the system and, yeah. and you can help You can help make change. And so um, I just learned that at an early age just by trial and error. I mean, you know, and then just kind of got into it and – yeah, so she went from city council to the mayor of Charlotte, Charlotte and she then was the from first, the mayor of Charlotte to Congress. She was, and you know, I'll make a, a side note. It's interesting we're having this conversation because I was just talking to somebody else about this. This is a pet project. This is something. This is not one of the driving forces of why I'm running for lieutenant governor. But if I do get to be lieutenant governor of this great state, one of the first things that I'm going to do is I'm going to work with the General Assembly, and I'm going to get something in the city of Charlotte named after Sue Myra. <laughs> she would. No, I'm idea. serious. I yeah. mean, there are multiple. No, I, there are multiple mayors. Uh, male mayors, uh, good men, served, you know, very well men, good, good men. But they have roads, freeways, uh, buildings named after them. But I find it ironic that the first female mayor oh, man. uh, of the city of Charlotte never had anything named after her. And I think that's uh, probably because of her party affiliation. Yeah. And I want to fight for that because I think she, especially while she's, uh, she's very spry and she's very in good health sure. and all that, but she's she is in her 80s, and I would like her to know that mm. uh, before you know inevitable life kicks in. And so, um, yeah. Well, if that opportunity woman. comes up, uh, just remember your good friend Steve Noble is on AMN FM down in Charlotte. So oh. I would love to help push well, let's, that. When the time is right, we'll do yeah, that. Yeah, that would be awesome. That, yeah. That's so great just to hear. Just a little side plug. Yeah, that's really cool. I love that. Yeah. But but So you've gone from supporting candidates to becoming a candidate. Yeah. So is that, did you think all, all, all the way back then and through this whole process, and obviously you've been very successful in supporting candidates and you've, you've, you've breathed a lot of rare air, but now to become a candidate, when did that get on your radar screen? Or was that something like you were thinking about that when you were in your 20s? So at different points of my life, I had different, you know, I would say callings where I felt God was leading me in one direction yeah. or the other. I certainly had several opportunities. Uh, in, in my earlier days, uh, when I was in my 30s, I had an opportunity to run for city council in Charlotte at large. I actually liked my chances at that point, um, but did not pull the trigger on it because uh, my wife and I, we had just had our first child. There were a multitude of things that were like, mm, you know, doesn't feel right right now. Didn't feel God was leading me to do it. Had an opportunity to walk into a state house seat one time because the, the guy was going to retire. And they asked me, do I want to be appointed to it? So, you know, I've never been, I don't want to say overly ambitious for me personally. Yeah. I, I loved serving uh, with Sue and then loved serving with Dan. Thought about, you know, one time running for Congress uh, when Sue retired, but I just never, I just didn't feel called to do it. And uh, I've always kind of trusted that and, you know, was very happy with Dan when Dan lost the governor's race. I ran that race. I've run 14 races in my career over 27 years. Wow. I've lost one. That was the that one. That was it. And um, I just I don't want to work for another candidate again um, because it's just, it's never been the same. Yeah, that was like a family. Dan's like my brother. Oh, Sue's like my yeah. second mom. Yeah. So uh, yeah. 
and seasons come and seasons go. We're talking to Hal Weatherman, uh, my dear friend and brother in Christ, running for Lieutenant Governor. Hal Weatherman 4NC.com is the website. Hal Weatherman 4NC.com. We'll be right back. I love tears. <laughs> I, as soon as they're I heard it, are they really? They're yeah, touring soon. again. Yeah. That's really funny. Hal Weatherman is running for lieutenant governor in North Carolina. And wouldn't it be nice to have a lieutenant governor uh, that has great taste in music? So that's pretty cool. Yeah, HalWeatherman4NC.com uh, is the website, Hal Weatherman. 4NC.com, and uh, yeah, you you dig on some of the 80s and 90s music like I do. We're in the same generation now. In the 50s, the mature decade, anybody underneath 50, uh, keep working on it. But once you get into your 50s, start figuring some things out. Yeah, and thanks for sharing on the break about uh, the difficulty of going through that loss with, with our mutual friend, Dan Forrest, uh, which is difficult, but, but there's a lot to be learned there. But the, kind of fold all that into, because you've done all these successful campaigns except for one, and then to then to run for office as you are now for lieutenant governor, take us through that process of how you switch. And then obviously God's calling, but but I know there's more to the story than what I'm saying. Yeah, so you know I would say when Dan lost, I mean that was um, <clears throat> when we lost. That was um, devastating. And as I was saying off, off air, there we um, it's humiliating. There's yeah. no other way to say it. Yeah. And so you know it, it was almost like somebody dying, and you go through the different stages of grief mm. and denial and anger and everything else. And I went through the same thing, and, and many of our staff did, and I would assume Dan did, you know. But um, after you know, I, I'm not gonna lie, I was devastated. And so you know, maybe 30 days, 40 days go by, and I'm really just not really functioning I, because my entire we put 10 years into that run. Yeah. Yep. You know, when we ran for lieutenant governor, we were really running for governor, just on a delayed path to get there, and. Um, so I moped around, did all that, and finally my, my wife, who's a very godly woman, but a very good southern spunky woman, gave <laughs> me a very godly kick in the butt and reminded me I was the breadwinner of the family and said, you know, it's rough, but life goes on and you got to go, yeah. you know, and, and she was right, and I knew that. Yeah. So I said, I've got to do something then that I haven't done in a month and a half, and that was pray. I mean, I, I, literally, I, I was mad at God. Yeah. I was mad at God. I'm with you. And Get so uh, got, up the next, honesty. got up the next morning, had a very candid conversation with God that I could not repeat on, on air the things <laughs> I was saying. And I'm just being honest with you. Yeah, I've been there, bro. But God made me and he made my emotions. And so was bearing my soul on that. And um, I literally asked God, I literally asked him or really yelled at him, demanded to him like he owes me anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't give me one reason. You can't give me one reason that the last 10 years of my life were not in vain. You have humiliated me. You've, yes. I, how was I going to know that a, a, a 10 years in, everything's smooth sailing. Here comes a, a, a global pandemic that's not man, you know, yeah. maybe or maybe not man-made, but right, whatever. Right, whatever. We didn't see that coming. And then, yeah, you can't give me one reason. Wow. And um, as clear as I'm here with you, God did not audibly talk to me, but as clear as I'm talking to you right now, uh, a memory popped in my mind at that moment. But don't you remember the vape store? Mm. And you know what a vape store is. And sure. I don't vape, but I do like a good cigar. I do. And the only place in Wake Forest, North Carolina, where I live, that you can get it is at the, uh, a premium cigars at the vape store. And so I would go into this store every night. And, you know, I'm on the road during campaign season every day yeah. all over the state. And I come in very late, and they close at 9. And I was such a normal, I would, regular, I'd put my money on the table, and my cigar would already be there at the end of the night just so they could close out the books. Um, and um, did that every night. I never took the time during those however many years, seven years, going into that vape store to learn the name of the person behind the counter. Mm-hmm. I just knew him as dude. What's up, dude? What's up, guy? What's up, man? Hey, you know that relationship. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I do that way too often. But I go in one night, right? I go in one night, put my thing down, and walking out. I hadn't seen my kids in three nights. I've been on the road literally around the state forever. I'm bone tired. 
walking out the door. And so see a dude turn around, it's just me and the guy in the store. Guy's crying like a baby, literally bawling like a baby. So I turned around and said, you know, what's what's wrong? And he said, you know, my baby mama left me. And I knew he had fathered a child out of wedlock. Yeah. I, I knew that from previous conversations. And I would say this kid's like 19, 20 years old. And I walked back to him and said, man, that's rough, and asked him a few questions and all that. And I don't know what put it in my heart. I mean, I know now what put it in my heart. But at the time, I just said, have you talked to your dad about that? Mm-hmm. He said, dude, I don't have a dad. And I was like, of course you And he said, I've never known my dad. My dad left before I was even born. I don't even know him. And I said, well, I'm old enough to be your dad. And I said, um, oh, I, I should back up. I, I said, you know, like, why, why did she leave you, you know? And... Um, he said, my baby mama is, is leaving me, and that's why he's crying. Um, and I said, why did she leave you? And he said, she said that I don't want my baby to be raised by a man that works in a vape store. Hmm. And I'm not going to go on living. That's what he told me. So I know I'm dealing with the potential suicide here. Yeah. And so I said, have you asked your father you know, uh, for advice on this? And um, he said, uh, no, I don't, know, I don't have a dad. And so I said, I'm going to be your dad. Let me, I'm going to tell you what to do. Because I think there's a time where a young man needs to ask his dad, what do I do? Not advice. Tell me what to do. Yeah, absolutely. So I said, I want you to go home tonight. I was trying to occupy his time. I'm just being honest. I want you to go home tonight and spend exactly two hours uh, learning everything about the plumbing program at Wake Tech, mm. the community college. And I said, how much do you make? He said, seven twenty-five an hour, eight twenty-five an hour. I can't remember what it was. And I said, I, I want you to go spend two hours on the Wake Prep site. I want you to learn exactly what it takes to be a plumber. Tomorrow, what time do you come into work? He said, 3 o'clock. I work 3 to 9. And I said, I want you to come, don't quit your job. Go in tomorrow at 10 o'clock. Go down to Wake Tech. I want you to sign up to be a plumber. I promise you we're going to double your salary overnight. We're going to double your – because they're going to pay you to go be a plumber because they need, they need plumbers. Yeah, yeah. And then I want you to go get a calendar book tonight. I'm trying to occupy his time tonight. Uh, go get a calendar book, and I want you to plot out on that calendar book five years to the day from today. And I want you to boldly write on this day, I will stop being a plumber apprentice or somebody, and I will open my own plumbing shop. Hmm. And I promise you from that day forward, you'll make $100,000 a year. And then I want you to boldly go 10 years in the future. I want you to plot it out on a calendar tonight. Take as long as it takes to figure out the exact date. I want you to mark down on this day, I will sell that plumbing company that I start for seven figures. Hmm. And I want you to, I want you to, so we've got a, we've got an overnight plan for, to get you enrolled for free, double your salary within a week. We've got a five-year plan for you to be on the path to make $100,000. And we've got a 10-year plan, so total of 15-year yeah. plan for you to be a millionaire. And uh, I want you to go do that with confidence. Will you go do that tonight? You have to do it tonight, though. You have to plan this out tonight and then act on it tomorrow. And he said, I'll do it. I went back every night mm-hmm. for seven consecutive days. He was not there. And I'm thinking, did he go blow his head off? Yeah. I go in, uh, maybe it was like Friday, Saturday night, whatever. Same situation, went up. He is behind the counter with his back to me, turns around, sees it's me, and goes, dude, dude, I was hoping I would see you today. Today's my last day. And I said, oh, I told you not to quit. I told you not to quit. And he's like, no, you don't get it. You don't get it. I did exactly what you said. I went the next day. I signed up. I make twenty two fifty an hour now. I've boldly marked on the schedule when I'm going to start making 100000 and I've marked when I'm going to sell the company for a millionaire. So I'm going to do it. And my, my baby mama, we're getting married. Wow. <laughs> now, I asked God at a moment of my uh, just complete yeah. professional humiliation yeah, yeah. and weakness and anger. You can't give me one reason that says what this was all oh, about. Man. And you know what it wasn't about, Steve? It wasn't about mm. the rise to power. It wasn't about the previous victories. It wasn't about the organizations we built and, and all the things that I could lay credit to that I could take at least half credit and say, I did that, I did that. God said, none of that mattered. 
apps you're asking, so I'm going to tell you, because you have the heart right now to hear. Right. I'm going to tell you exactly what it was about. It was about that one moment that I put you there. And what put you there? That job, that 10 years. That's right. That's what got you there to save that one kid's life and to restore that family and to give them hope for a future. Mm-hmm. And that's what it was about. And since you asked, there you have it. And so from that day forward, I didn't know at that point I was going to run for lieutenant yeah, governor. Yeah. But you can ask all the people in my life that I told them all, that made a profound change in me. I mean, I called my friends literally saying, you're not going to believe what just happened to me. Like, this is weird. Like, this is, this is God, like, you know. And um, that is what's driving the policy positions yeah. that I'm pushing now in the office of lieutenant governor because I'm not going to run my life the same way. If I'm going to be involved in politics, I'm not going to do it the way I did before. Yeah, I'm totally with you. What an incredible. That's an incredible story. And it's funny because when I went to your website a little while ago, Hal Weatherman for NC.com, the part I highlighted was about working in the trades. Yeah. So we're going to go there next. We'll be right back. I heard the news. I know the pain of a heart Welcome back. It's Steve Noble, the Steve Noble Show. Al Weatherman and I, uh, a few minutes ago, were talking about uh, spending time in the valley versus the mountaintop, like when uh, you and Dan uh, didn't win the governor's race. And that's why I picked that song. I don't know if every single person listening to me right now knows Christ or not, but when you do, uh, all of a sudden you have a way through the valley. That's why David said in his psalm that we all know, Psalm 23, Lo, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. So once you're a follower of Christ and you have the Holy Spirit and you've been saved, you've been born again, you don't even have to fear death. Death is just like a shadow. And what kind of fool is afraid of a shadow? So that's why I picked that song. I I pick songs basically on purpose to message what I already feel like the Lord is calling me to do. So setting that aside, Hal, it's great to have you here. We're talking to Hal Weatherman. Hal Weatherman, 4NC, F-O-R, 4NC.com, running for lieutenant governor. That was an incredible story. And uh, interestingly enough, about an hour ago when I was looking through your website, I went to the My Vision for the State. And here we go. (laughs) I love how the Lord works. My primary goal in seeking the office of lieutenant governor is to use the authority of the office to fundamentally remove the stigma our society has placed on working in the trades. That's why you were just telling us a story about the young man at the vape shop that was becoming a plumber. The lieutenant governor serves on the State Board of Education and the State Community College Board of Directors, providing a unique opportunity of influence to advance a new culture in our state that values entrepreneurship, trade work, and small business ownership. North Carolina's apprenticeship program is not well advertised or easily navigated, which is true. When elected North uh, Lieutenant Governor, I will streamline the apprenticeship program and work to give tax incentives to participating companies. North Carolina should be number one in apprenticeships, and I will accept nothing less. I've never seen a single politician in all my years of paying attention where that was their primary goal. So so and I'm totally with it because I've I've bought a lot of coffee and a lot of sandwiches from people that had a college degree. Yeah. But the trades, yeah. a lot of kids these days, youngsters these days, uh, look down on it. So yeah. like our son who's twenty two and works at a local Mercedes Benz dealership had no interest in college. And his whole senior year, everybody, where are you going to school? Where are you going to school? Where are you going to school? Yeah. And that was that was not fun for him. Yeah. Until at one point he's like, eh, I'm taking a gap year. I'm like, dude. Who cares if you don't go to college? You think God is restricted from blessing your life by whether you go to yeah. a four-year degree or not? So, so was that was that how this got on your radar screen? Was that experience with the guy at the vape store? I mean, this is a big deal, and I think it's a huge issue in America. Hundred percent. And I told my staff right when we started that listen, I'm going to run. We're going to run for lieutenant governor, 
and we're going to do it because there's a, there are two pedestals there that I can use to to accomplish what we're talking about yeah. right now. I told him the genesis behind it was exactly this story wow. that I asked God. I God that. told me that this is exactly uh, you asked what it's about, and so either you act on that or you don't. If I asked in my heart of hearts and said what was it about, and He says this is what it was about, then shame on me if I don't follow that through. I see the opportunity uh, for the office coming up. If you want to summarize why I'm running, and it's not just the trades, uh, but it's the primary thing, I can summarize it very easily. It is I desire uh, and feel it's on my heart to drive self-sufficiency for our people and self-sufficiency for our state. Amen. And whether that's – I told our staff, whether that's going to be a sexy issue to campaign on or not (laughs) is irrelevant. That's what we're going to campaign on, and the burden is on me to, to in effect, sell that message to the public. That's right. But I'll I'll put it like this. It really bothered me. I'll, I'll even back up. I believe fundamentally that God put man and woman on this earth to work. Mm-hmm. That's a fundamental belief fundamental. of me. I teach it God, in my ethics class. God put us here to work because when we work, we get a, we learn our, that's where we get our dignity. Yeah. When we work, that's where we get self-respect. When we work, that's where we, um, we, we learn self-sufficiency and we take a certain godly pride. It's not pride in us. Right. It is an internal peace because it's God saying, you're doing what I wanted yep. you to do. You're providing for your family and everyone else. It's aligning with the Imago Dei. You're aligning right. with how God designed you. Exactly. In my ethics class, when we do, we do a whole session on work and vocation. Right. And I say, hey, guys, okay, everybody, these are all 15, 16, 17-year-olds. Uh, is it a good idea to raise a racehorse in your bedroom? Like, no, that's a really terrible idea. Why is that? Well, because they're going to get too big. and they go, Okay, so uh, what about from a Christian perspective? What do you think about that? And then they don't know what I'm talking about. Right. And I said, okay, if you take a ra- – what's a racehorse primarily designed by God to do? Forget the right. going down to the track. But what's it design- it's designed to run? Right. Okay, if you take something that's designed to run and you confine it to a space where it can't run, is that loving or unloving? That's unloving. Okay, great. Now let's talk about work. Right. Which, like, at the state level and at right. the federal level, when we have programs in place that take advantage of people's sin nature right. and then provide an opportunity for them to not work and barely get by. Right. To me, and this is very strong language, but I say it all the time, uh, that's raping the image of God in those people. And the trades and what you're talking about, self-sufficiency, right. is the design. That's the way it's supposed to work. Right. You know, a couple of things here. Yeah, shame on our federal government for paying people not to work. If God, oh, put, if God put us here to work, and that's where our dignity, our self-respect, Amen. our self-sufficiency comes from, then shame on our government that claims to be based on Judeo-Christian values. Shame on them for paying people not to work, to yep. go against that. Amen. It's going to create more than worker shortages and supply chain problems. It's going to create a deep spiritual divide in our country, and I would argue that's where we're Yeah, we're there. Equally true. It bothered me during COVID to have the governor of the great state of North Carolina day in and day out go behind a podium and literally label half of his population as essential workers and the other half as non-essential. Mm-hmm. If that job puts food on the table for your family, if it puts clothing on your kids' back and shelter over their heads, I promise you it's essential to you. And if I'm lieutenant governor of the state, never again will North Carolina label half of its population yeah. as non-essential. Yeah. So, you know, the trades, what the trades, it, it's almost symbolic. It is how do you restore the basic concept that there's dignity in work regardless Amen. of what the work is. Amen. Then you have to start at the quote-unquote bottom of the pay scale or bottom of the whatever the, as, as it's perceived and restore the basic concept that, no, that's wrong. Society is wrong. There's dignity in this. I just gave this, you know, laid out a plan where this kid could double his salary, yeah. legitimately make $100,000 a year, and, and, and potentially become a millionaire. Um, 
just by going into the trades and working hard. By the way, I could have equally said, go be an electrician. I could have equally said, go be an HVAC, a commercial welder. I could have gone through any of those, right? But the point is, to be self-sufficient, you have to first believe in the concept of work and where work originated from. In the beginning, God created. That's how our Bible started. Creation is work. People will say, we live in the creative society, and they mean it in a work way. That's not coined now. That was coined back the, <laughs> before the beginning of it's time. Two thousand years old, right? Yeah. Because our God is a creator, and He desires for us to work as well. And so that's you know that's my message on, on that side of that. And the lieutenant governor is uniquely qualified. And I had a guy tell me the other day, you know, most of the power of lieutenant governor was stripped in the eighties. The only thing left really is that you you serve on the community college board and the Board of Education. I said, well, shockingly, those are the two pieces I need to accomplish what I want to do yeah. because from those two pedestals, right, I'm going to fundamentally do my part funda- to try to fundamentally remove the stigma that we have put on men and women who work with their hands because I believe there's dignity in work. And I think we're at a tipping point anyway. We, You know, Chip and Joanna Gaines are famous now, and they're celebrities. And by the way, they're good Christian people, and we should lift yeah. them up. But what are, you, what are we as a society watching when we watch Chip and Joanna Gaines? What? We're watching a man and woman work with their hands. That's right. And we idolize them until it's time for our kids to graduate from high uh, school. There you go. And then we push them into the four-year degree. And at least you think I'm guilty of perpetuating the very stigma I'm saying <laughs> I'm again. No, I'm, I'm serious about I'm this. with you. One of the things that I hope to accomplish when I'm elected lieutenant governor is this. I, from, uh, from those two pedestals, right, I don't want to just target the children who, let's be honest, maybe college is not the best option. I actually want to push the kids who are going to college to get in on this deal. So I want our four-year universities to start partnering with the community college system and start offering what I call two-and-two degrees, two years in the trades, and then you go to a four-year university where you get a degree in either marketing, graphic design, budgeting, finance. So they have all the tools to run a business, and then it's coupled with a marketable skill set. Right. That will make them profitable and self-sufficient. Yeah. And so at the end of the day, what I'm really what I'm really preaching is I want you to be self-sufficient. It's not really not what I want. It's what God has laid on my heart, because I believe that's why we're here. Yeah. And I see our culture going the opposite way. And I feel like I could do something on it. The ways to deliver that. Yeah. The apprenticeship program. I want to be very involved in it. We have a good apprenticeship program. It's OK. I don't want to bash it. But it's been it's changed hands in the state government. Over the last eight years, it was a uh, North Carolina Department of Labor. They didn't want it. They gave it to Commerce. Commerce didn't want it. Now it's over at community colleges. Nobody claims to want it. You know who wants it? I want it. Why? Yeah. Because I want to drive people into the trades. Yeah. And that's a great vehicle to, to do that. And just having it out there isn't enough. This is something that requires a champion. Right. Because we exactly. have such a stigma about that. And just and most parents that listen to us right now, grandparents, know if your kid comes home or somebody else's kid says, yeah, I'm not really going to go to college, that is that usually creates a stigma. Yeah. And you're thinking, oh, 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 not a good student, not motivated, blah, 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 blah. What are you going to do? Yeah. And, and, and it, it requires messaging. It requires a champion because you're going to have to – most of us understand this. <clears throat> and I think a lot of young people understand it and, and would see it as a good opportunity for them. They just need to, some help with that stigma going away. Because when you're 16, 17, 18, yeah. pressure from your peer groups and your parents is massive. It is. And you have to push back against that with it, the reality yeah. of the opportunities that are available through what you're talking yeah. about. The other thing you know, that's driving me, too, it's the same message. It's just in a different context, is self-sufficiency of the state. Yeah. And you know, I know we're coming up on a break, but you know, I'd like to talk about that a little yeah. bit as well. Because they dovetail 
together. And, yeah. and it's oh, yeah. really what's driving me there as well. So. Yeah, self-sufficiency of the state. One of the things we talk about in my civics class, that the vast majority of states in the union, their second or third biggest source of revenue, federal money. Yep. That's not self-sufficiency. Nope. That's enslavement. We'll be Welcome back. It's Steve Noble, The Steve Noble Show. Okay, I'll admit it. There's no deep meaning to this one. It's just Boston. How can you not? I love Boston. How can you not have a Boston tune in your bump music when you more have your own radio feeling, show? Man. It's more more than than feeling. Feeling. That's right. Thank you for that reminder. We're talking to Hal Weatherman, who's running for Lieutenant Governor. Hal Weatherman, 4NC.com. Hal Weatherman, 4NC.com. Got involved with the political process when he was 17. Uh, worked with Sue Myrick when she was just Charlotte City Council, Charlotte Mayor, Congress, Sue Myrick's son, Dan Forrest. So you've been at it a while, but here you are uh, running for lieutenant governor talking about, which I love the whole thing about trades and the stigma that goes with that. You don't have to go to college to be successful. The trades offer all kinds of opportunities and, and stability because we're not going to, AI is not going to get rid of plumbers and electricians and house painters and all those guys anytime soon. Uh, so it's a great opportunity. So you were talking about self-sufficiency, which flows right out of the scriptures for us as Christians. <clears throat> a, a, a man that doesn't provide for his family is worse than an unbeliever. Okay, that's pretty strong language in the New Testament. And so work is integral to that. Now let's talk about it on a, on a statewide governmental level. The self-sufficiency of the individual, which would solve so many problems in this right. country and would allow people to escape poverty and to get off the a government dole, which is good for everybody and a, and a part of what this country needs to get to. But then self-sufficiency of a state. Right. That was, that's a, I love this thought, and that's yeah. why I teach civics. But unpack that for so, us. So, I mean, take COVID again, right? Equally troubling to me was for the governor of North Carolina to stand behind a podium day in and day out and literally beg the federal government or beg a neighboring state or beg an NGO or beg a nonprofit, which he did, to please send us masks, please send us ventilators. Which, which was the ultimate indictment of his leadership because it showed that we couldn't provide for ourselves. To be abundantly clear, we're the ninth largest state in the union, soon to be the eighth largest. We have a $25 billion budget, an $8 billion surplus, and one of the largest GDPs in the world. We should, the state of North Carolina should beg no one for anything. Amen. We should provide for ourselves. And then the, you take that to a much greater thing, just using current events, just in the last two, three months. When you start to see trains in this country derail in strategic locations, carrying strategic materials that, in effect, weaponizes the trains, and it happens more than <laughs> once. When you start to see rolling blackouts in the great state of North Carolina, which we've never had in my lifetime or yours, and we're asked to accept it and to expect it in the future. When you start to see our electrical substations be attacked, because they have been in North Carolina and around the country, with no explanation, and they're strategically attacking those substations by hitting parts that we don't have replacement f uh, parts for. You think about that. Think what the ramifications of, of are of that. Yeah. When you see foreign countries come in and start to buy our sovereign soil, our, far our farmland, I'm smart enough to know that that potentially is them trying to manipulate our food supply, which would have national security Absolutely. implications. And when you see China fly a spy balloon Jeez, over the great state started. of North Carolina, over every one of our military installations, every one of our nuclear power plants, every one of our critical resources, and we as a people have to sit impotently back and do nothing? That's Saturday morning, Hal. I've, right. I'm, I've got friends text from Charlotte texting me pictures yes, of the Chinese spy balloon that right. you could see through our, your iPhone. Our state needs to prepare. Jeez. We need to prepare for what I call the day of reckoning. And I don't know if it's going to be a financial meltdown yeah. of Epic or if it's going to be COVID on steroids. It actually is going to be completely lethal. And it's going to – whatever it is, we need to be dependent, uh, self-sufficient and not dependent on the federal government. 
And so, you know, I'm driving a message of self-sufficiency for you and your family. I'm driving a a message of self-sufficiency for the state. And part of that self-sufficiency is, you know, I'm a limited government constitutional conservative. And so, you know, what does limited government mean? It means I do believe there's a role for the federal government. I do. Don't don't misinterpret. But once you hit that limit, live free, right? And so what we have done, and we were talking about it off, off air there, is we have we need to start severing the ties that bind us, and education, as we were talking, about, is a prime example of that. Um, some of the ideologies that are being uh, introduced into our school systems now, the over sexualization of our children, yep. um, uh, CRT. You know, I, I'll just go ahead and say right now, we cannot allow we cannot allow our black babies to be born thinking they are inherently born a victim. That's right. And we cannot allow our white babies grow up thinking they were born inherently an oppressor. Well, they're resegregating the country. 100%. And think this country is going to survive. We're <laughs> not. They are resegregating. This, yeah, country, this country did unfairly. We did unfairly judge people by yeah. the color of their skin. Absolutely. Then we corrected it, and we started judging people by the content of their character, Martin Luther King, Jr. And now see, here comes CRT that says, no, we're going to go backwards, and we're going to start judging you by the color of your skin. This is a devolution. This is not an evolution. Yeah. This is going backwards, and we have to fight it. But you start looking at some of these, um, some of these programs and where they're coming from. So many of them have ties to the federal government, as we were saying off air. It, it very much is like the drug dealer. They go by the playground. They give the first round out for free. Once you're addicted to it, oh, you yeah. don't care what's attached no, to it. Uh, and, you know, You'll I, do whatever you have to do. To I mean, it. if it were up to me, I, I won't have the power to do this as lieutenant governor. But if I did have a magic wand, I'd abolish the U.S. Department of Education. Amen. I'm right there. Not because I'm against education, right. but because I'm for because you're for it. Because I'm for it. Yes. And the sexualization, and I, you know, I don't know what else to call it uh, in our school system. Well, that's what it is, and it's yeah. obviously deeply demonic, and it's got a lot of people that are going down that road. They're complicit, too. They're not just puppets. They're complicit. Yeah, I mean, story, you know, drag queen story hour oh, is absolutely never appropriate in any school setting under any circumstances, right? Um, no teacher should ask my three children what their pronouns are. The proper thing to call my three children are the birth names given to them by their mother and their father. Yep. And when a teacher is asked in a classroom from a student, you know, something about gender identity or gender fluidity or any one of these hot button topic issues, the proper response is that's an interesting question. Go ask your parents. Yeah, talk to your parents. Go talk to your parents. Our teachers need to get back to, and by the way, my wife is a former teacher, so I respect teachers and the situation they're in, yeah. right? But they need to start working in cooperation with the parents. Right. Not in opposition to the novel idea there. It's a novel idea. Right. And so, uh, you know, I think we should replace all these radical ideologies with the basics, uh, reading, writing, arithmetic, science. But I want to go one step further. I want to teach financial literacy. I want our kids to graduate knowing the, the principles of compounded interest, the dangers of debt, the dangers of socialism. The, the superiority of the free enterprises and the capitalist, uh, capitalistic system, but I also want us to teach American exceptionalism, that there is no moral equivalency to the United States of America because like any other country in the world, we're the only country that links our rights direct not from man or man-made government, but directly to our creator. That's right. And that's what makes us that's what makes us. There's there's no moral equivalence. Right. Yeah. That's American exceptionalism is a reality. American exceptionalism does not claim uh, American uber righteousness. We've right. done plenty of things wrong, right. but we are the only country based on that kind of a creed and, men, and, and men should not be allowed to to compete against women That's right. in sports. Well, because probably, it, le- it leaves women oh completely. You know, my son. Where are the feminists? Hello. Yeah, my feminists. Where are you? My son is an athlete. My son is is getting ready to go to college on a on a on a cross country scholarship That's because awesome. he's worked very hard his entire life. His you know to to get to that level. 
But we did have one time, I think it was in seventh grade, he, he at the time was, sta- was ranked in the state, had gone undefeated for the season. We went to the state championship thinking he had a legitimate shot to win the championship and uh, got there. And, you know, the conference that we're in, the, the umbrella statewide conference, because there are five different umbrella conferences, um, let another team into the championship, even though they, want, you know, they were in a neighboring umbrella com- uh, statewide conference. And uh, put him in there, and my kid finished second in the state to one of those runners. Now, I'm not trying to make a, a moral equivalency no. between that and, and these females, but I could not imagine training my whole oh, life to be a national champion because swimming – I use Riley Gaines as example. Swimming is so similar to running. Yeah. It is a solitary sport. It's day in and day out. It's day in and day out yeah, in a, a private great. pool alone three, two, three times a day. And nobody's around, no cheerleaders, no nothing. It is just you against the elements. And to build up to that one goal and to have it denied to you, I could not. I mean, I can kind of relate in that small way to yep. watch my child lose a state championship. By somebody that shouldn't have been in the competition Correct. in the first place. And, again, I couldn't imagine how worse it would be for them. Right. Right. And so. Um, so you got to love Riley Gaines, and she's out there speaking about it. I mean, the, the liberals are always going to go too far. The progressives are always going to go too far. Uh, and they have in this case, but that's why, in terms of the lieutenant governor, I think a lot of people are like, "What does the lieutenant governor even even do now?" When it comes to education, as you mentioned, and dealing yeah. with the trades, and trying to work on the apprenticeship program, yeah. you're, you're in you're in the education world as the lieutenant governor, and that's probably, from my perspective, setting aside the financial train wreck that this country is, yeah. uh, the future of this country is being determined in the classroom, yeah, which is why 100%. I feel much more passionate about what I do in the classroom every week with 150 high school age homeschool students versus what I do here. Yeah. This is important, yeah. but this isn't that. Yeah. That's more important because that's dealing with 30, 40 and 50 years in the future versus talking on the radio is basically about now. But being in there dealing with education and reaching these kids, man, that's all about the future. That's our posterity that makes you sound to- like totally. a founding father. No, absolutely. And I believe I believe in school choice. Um I was telling, you know, off air, we were talking, and, and, you know, I believe in school choice. And and my family is the ultimate consumer of school choice. We're the poster child of school choice. (laughs) My three kids at one time or another, each one of my children has gone public, private, uh, Christian. Uh, We've been homeschooled, and um, they've gone charter. And so we've consumed every form of educational. But you know who made those decisions? You did. The mother and myself. What a shocker. And that was our choice, and I want you to have that choice too. And I want every North Carolinian, because I think one of the saddest things we do as a culture, as a society, is to basically damn the future of the the child Mm -hmm. that's born in the wrong zip code. Because let's get real, some zip codes are better than others. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And we damn that child. We basically determine at birth you have no future. And that is so wrong. So it's, wrong. it's one of the greatest sins that we do as a society. Yeah. And the only way to break right. that up is to um, let the child go to the best educational yep. option that they have. Yep. Public, private, charter, home, virtual, military, whatever it whatever. is. Whatever. Let yep. the parents Totally choose. with it. How can we help you, Hal? <clears throat> Pray for me. And, I, you know, I, I say at every uh, talk that I have around the state, if you are a believer, and I know you have, pe- obviously, people sure. listening here that are believers, pray a specific prayer. Pray that God would bring me the people and the resources that I, do, I don't even know that I need mm. and to give me his wisdom to know what to do with them yeah. when they surface. That's you my, that, yep. you know, that would be my prayer. Got it. And don't forget, uh, you know the guy that hosts the show. So all <laughs> I got to do is ask. Awesome. That's a great message, Hal. I love all of it. Uh, I'm stammering because there's so much about it I'm excited about. 
and I don't stammer very often. So God bless you, my friend. Thanks for coming. He does every day. HalWeatherman4NC.com, running for lieutenant governor here in the great state of North Carolina. HalWeatherman4NC.com. This is Steve Noble on the Steve Noble Show. God willing, I'll talk to you again real soon. And like my dad always used to say, ever forward. Another program powered by the Truth Network.